everything's hyper local when it comes to commercial real estate. So you can read those headlines and think, man, commercial real estate's cratering. It is in some markets, San Francisco being the prime prime example of that. But man, I'm not losing sleep in Owensboro. Yeah. And if I were in Nashville, I'd be feeling just fine. Texas, I'm feeling just fine. There's plenty of, you know, where there's job growth, you're generally okay. Hey, this is Bo Barron, owner and managing director of Barron Commercial Group. And he's zoning out right now, but that's Timmy Barron, ADHD, actor and comedian. Oh, are we doing that? I'm already done with this. Hey, let's start over. Hey, this is Bo Barron, owner and managing director of Barron Commercial Group. And... And then this is Timmy Barron, owner in an I'm I don't own much. I'm an actor. I'm learning about about commercial real estate. He's teaching me about commercial real estate. Uh, what's the name of our podcast here? Commercially speaking. All right, let's do it. What a train wreck. <laughs> <laughs> Bo, what are we doing today? This is the first, hopefully, of a series of episodes that we'll do periodically where we take listener questions and address them. And uh, and we are. We're paying attention. Yes, we are. That's so true. All right. Well, well let's jump into it. First question yeah. comes from YouTube. There are known knowns and there are known unknowns, but there are also... Wait, why did I screenshot this one? I don't know, but say the rest of it. Okay. This is just a treat for you all, listener. There are known knowns and there are known unknowns, but there are also unknown unknowns things that we don't know that we don't know. I'll, I'll go ahead and answer this, Bo. You know I know. I know you know. But really, who knows, you know? Well, yeah. Put. yeah thank this, you. That comment reminds me of a concept in one of my favorite books, which is called Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. We've talked about oh, yeah. that before. Really cool book. A former FBI negotiator writes a book on negotiation, and it's fantastic. But he talks about black swans, and the black swan is the idea of the unknown unknowns. You know, if you can be on the look for the unknown unknowns, it's often the thing that'll break the negotiation. Would it be something you're looking for that the other person cares about or actually wants or are emotionally attached to that you can use? You're negotiating with with the other side, okay? The other side has underlying things going on that you're completely aware of. And so there are things that you know, and there are things you know about the other side that you know that you don't know. Yeah. And so maybe it's just, you know, where they grew up. Mm. That informs the way they look at the world, and it helps you see things from their vantage point. Maybe that's a terrible example. I don't know. but Yeah. I saw a YouTube video not too long ago that kind of dove into like really good negotiating using some characters. They use characters from like Game of Thrones and why they are so good at getting what they want through negotiation. And one of those things was understanding. And this is the biggest thing with negotiating anyway, is having actual empathy and putting yourself in the other person's mm-hmm. shoes. But if you're yep. able to do that uh, and then know what they really care about, what they really want, you can get creative with your negotiation and use that. It made me think of that because it, it sounds like that falls in the same cup. Yep. Okay. This is from the episode where you're pitching me, I think. This comes from Schlumpty12 on YouTube. Do this shit if you want to be a leech. Landlords don't contribute value. They are a tumor growing without providing. Here's the clip. You take the NOI, you divide it by the cap rate. And it gives you the value. Yeah. Right. And 
a way to raise the net operating income is to raise the revenue of the center by raising the rents. Right, right. Okay. Okay. Help us with this, Bo. What is he talking about? Or they? Now, what I'm guessing, whoever, uh, what was his name? Humpty or Schlumpty? Schlumpty. Schlumpty. Interesting. Yep. So Mm -hmm. whoever this guy is, my guess is he's thinking of maybe the apartment slumlords. On the commercial side, you know, if... If I were to take the building on the other side of the parking lot that we own, that strip center there, and if I were just to raise rents without providing any more value, my tenants are going to leave me and Mm. I'm going to lose money. The other thing is most of the time, if I buy a building, I have to honor the leases that are in place. I can't unilaterally just go in and raise the rents. All right. The only way I can do that is if the lease expires and we we renegotiate the renewal where a tenant leaves and I'm able to put a new tenant in there. And the only way I can attract tenants is to provide a great product in a good location where somebody thinks their business is going to thrive. That's it. Right. If they don't think that, then they're not coming to my center. However, if you go to some of these places, and I bet there's some in Chicago, they're just slums, mm. right? And the landlord doesn't fix anything and mm. periodically just continues to raise the rents. Then I would tend to agree with mm-hmm. the fellow's comment. Schlumpty. Yeah, Schlumpty. That's probably what Schlumpty was thinking about. When we take a look at a property and we're trying to maximize the value of the property, the only way we can really do that is to provide a great environment for our tenants so that they can thrive there and it's worth it to them to pay more rent. Otherwise, yeah. it, it doesn't make sense. So it has to work for everybody. So I would caution Schlumpty when he thinks about landlords. They're not all bad. And yeah. Most of them are providing great space, at least on the commercial side, so yeah. that their tenants can thrive in that space. Right, right. Yeah, I know there's, uh, you know, being being in the community I am, you know, very, very liberal, very left, too much in my opinion. <sighs> um, like there are some people out there that literally think if somebody owns a house that's not being used, someone who is homeless has the right to walk in there and live in it. Right. Which I think is it's just ridiculous. My my question here to you, Bo, is have you seen that? Are you privy to, to that kind of talk that's happening? And number two, w- what would be a, a solution in your head? Well, the solution part is harder, but let's just talk about the problem. The United States as a whole. So take a look at the big picture macro wise. The United States needs four million more housing units. OK, so there's much more demand than there is supply. When that happens, what happens to rents? Uh, they, they, go, they go up. Rents are pushed up. Mm-hmm. There's that issue. Go to the big primary markets, San Francisco, New York City, Chicago. That is uh, exacerbated even more because the cost of living is so much higher. Mm-hmm. Just about every market, big, small, or in between, there is a need for good affordable housing. There, there's a need for it. There's demand for it. So if if I were to develop apartments, even in Owensboro, Kentucky, right now, for a developer to, you know, to create something new, to add supply that's greatly needed to the market, it, it doesn't make financial sense unless yeah. they create a space and get the top, top rents, which doesn't yeah. help the person in the middle. This won't pass, according to my friends in California, but there's a uh, prop something there that says every night at a certain hour, all hotel rooms that aren't booked are to be made available 
to the homeless. Wow. Right? That won't pass. Okay. Yeah. But somebody is taking the power of the legislature or trying to take from private property owners and make it available to people who need space. You know, to your point, there is that kind of thinking. Now, go think about New York City. They have all this office space that's not ava- that that's vacant now. And the idea is to convert office and make it some type of affordable housing. If you think about a, you know, a high-rise office building, you generally have two restrooms on the entire floor. Right. Well, now you want to turn that into 12, 14, 16 apartment units that each need to have their own restroom. Just think about the cost of doing all that. It's very, very expensive. If the city of New York wanted to incentivize developers, they could do that. They could put some public money into that Oh, to help, and they're deciding not to do that. It's a, it's a very complex problem, and it's almost everywhere a problem. Yeah. The solutions are hard to come by, and I think we're going to see some some conversions from other product types to multifamily mm-hmm. to try to help do that. And there's always the low-income housing tax credit system, which is onerous and complicated. Mm-hmm. But there are there's tax credit programs from the federal government to incentivize developers to build multifamily apartments or to convert other uses to multifamily. They get tax credits to do that, and then they agree for a period of like 15 years to keep the rents at a HUD published level. And in return, they get tax credits to do that. Yeah. Which are very valuable. And so that's that's the type of incentive that would help a developer create good product, good apartments, and then keep the rents lower than they could otherwise get. But a lot of it has to do with these cities and their city governments putting policy out that they think is going to help the problem, but actually hurts it in a lot of ways. Right. Because they start from a place that developers and people trying to make a profit are evil. Right. Some some are, okay? Some are money-grubbing. They don't care what they do to the people who are their tenants or whatever. That's a minority yeah. of the developers out there. You know, Hollywood paints every business as being evil. Mm-hmm. Anybody trying to make a profit is evil. A lot of these liberal cities, in my opinion, start from a place where the the real estate guy trying to make a profit is evil. Right. And it's just not the case. It's not. No. I hate broad strokes like that. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm I'm in I'm just in between it from where I come from, my family and the community I'm in now. It just seems that there's such a misunderstanding and a mark a communication gap. I think we talked about that even a little bit in the first or second episode. Yeah, I feel um, like we did. Man, from that episode to this episode as far as like where I lean politically, I have way, way more towards the middle than I started. I look at that first episode and I think you're supposed to be embarrassed of where you start. And I am. I look at that first video, the the video quality, the lighting, the audio, like all of that stuff in that first episode. Even from the first episode to the second episode, we made a huge jump. And yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. Yep. Okay, cool. Next question. Let's do it. All right, let's do it. This one comes from Bailey Bird GNO on YouTube. Hey, I'd love to hear y'all's thoughts on cold outreach emails and calls to bigger ticket investors slash owners. What has worked for you in the past? I love this question. I think we covered it at some point, but uh, a little bit, like at a high, high level, which I just found out what high level meant. Let's let's uh, detour for a second. When you'd say high level, 
I thought high level meant like a high level of knowledge. We're going to get into the nitty gritty, but it means the opposite. It means we're going to look at it from a bird's eye view and not get deep into the details. That's um, exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. So I, that was just for anybody else that's like me. When Bo says at a high level, we're just hitting the the we're not we're just taking a, a an overview look to understand the concepts at a high level. What what episode was this question? Do we know that? Oh yeah, this was from um, Master Multifamily Properties. So this one is from um, uh, with Eric Christopher. With Eric Christopher. Mm -hmm. All right. So I'm thinking, how do you go find new business? It, to me, it doesn't matter if it's small ticket, big ticket. What you want to do is systematize your prospecting efforts. And so I'll give you an example of what we did when we started prospecting for dollar stores. Uh, this is, probably goes back 08, 09, 2010. Nothing was selling in Kentucky except for dollar stores. And so you know, when you look around, I want to be prospecting in an area where there's good transactional velocity. You know, if Right now, if nobody's buying and selling office space, like I don't want to be going after office business. Right. You know, here's the system that we came up with. When we built a database of all the dollar stores, so Family Dollar and Dollar General. Let me, yeah, let me clarify because Dollar Tree is what I think of a dollar store. Everything is a dollar. So when you say dollar stores, what specifically are you talking about? We're talking about Family Dollars and Dollar General. Okay. So we built a, a database of all the properties in Kentucky who owned them, their contact information, outsourced that, found somebody who could go get all that information for me, paid them, you know, a few hundred dollars and ended up with the list. All right. So now I have a database of all the properties that I'm trying to win business from. And I want to reach out to every one of these people and see if they're willing to sell. Before I crafted anything to reach out to them, I had to spend some time considering what's the profile of the person who owns a dollar store in Kentucky. Try to figure out what their pain points could be, what are some of their issues, what are some of the things that could concern them. And once we've you know, at least guessed at some of that, then I wrote a prospecting letter. I remember there was this uh, buddy of mine, Peter Colvin in Michigan, who had been doing this for a while and he used a letter and I was like, hey man, would you share that letter with me? And he just gave me the letter. We tweaked it, turned it into a version of our own. The original chat GPT. Oh, Pete. And our system looked like this. We sent out 30 letters a week. Uh, I had an assistant at the time. She would uh, hand address all the envelopes because uh, the U.S. Postal Service will tell you that if you hand address the envelopes, you get a higher open rate. I would sign the 30 letters and then hand them back to her. She would stuff the envelopes, put them in the mail. I think she did that on a Wednesday. In the letter, the PS said... By the way, I'm going to call you next week. The reason I told him I was going to call him next week was I wanted to demonstrate that I follow through on what I say. Yeah. So I'm giving myself that opportunity. Told you I was going to call you next week. I'm calling you next week. Mm -hmm. And so after Teresa would send the letters, she would go into my CRM system because all this whole database list of uh, dollar store owners was in client look. She would record that these next 30 were sent the letter. And then she would schedule for me starting on the following Monday to call those 30 people. And so I'd show up on Monday and there's my call list. And I would just start making the calls. And I would make sure by Friday I'd called all 30 of those people. And that's not hard to do. That's like six people a day. And most, yeah. most of the time I'd be done by Monday at lunch. 
making those initial calls. And if I got voicemails, I'd leave a voicemail, tell them I'm going to call them back, and I'd try them again in a couple of days or whatever the cadence was. Yeah. And, and that was a very effective system. And that's simple. Now what I would do is a version of that, but then I'd go find them on LinkedIn, send them a friend request. Mm. You know, hey, I just sent you a letter about this property. I'm going to be calling you next week. I would try other touch points with social media just to add to, all right, they're going to get a letter from me. They're going to get a call from me. They're going to see me online. If they see me online, maybe they'll see that I do a podcast. Maybe they'll listen to that podcast. Maybe now that they've listened to the podcast, I've got more credibility and they understand that hopefully I know what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And all of that helps in getting them to take my call or return my call. Or if I do get to yeah. talk to them, that everything is just warmed up because of some of the content that I put out there. And then just work it. Work it. Just to uh, give people a point where they can go get more information. When I created that, I was being coached by the Mossmo group. Rod Santamosmo at the time was my coach, and he helped me put that in place, and it was very effective. And the Mossmo group still coaches systematic prospecting. Nice. And so if anybody really wants to take their brokerage to the next level and really dial things in and become more effective and efficient, the Mossmo group's a great place to look. Mossimo group, M-A-S-S-I-M-O. Dashgroup.com. Dashgroup.com. And you know what? We'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, so you just go, show just go, just go down there and you can click on it. Mm -hmm. Sure, Rod will appreciate that. San, Santa Massimo. Santo Massimo. Massimo Group is not named after Rod. No, no Rod doesn't even rhyme with Massimo. Yeah, that makes no sense. <laughs> I was so proud of that joke. Before we move on, I just wanted to say, you were saying that creating your database uh, being the first step of getting to a prospecting letter in, in this system. Would you say the step before that is identifying what the market is doing? I would. Yeah. If you're wondering what to specialize in, you need to ask yourself three questions. We talked about this before. I don't know. Moving forward anyway. Okay. Question number one is, what do I like? List your top three. Now ask yourself, what am I good at? All right. There are some brokers that excel on the relational part of the business. All right. That's actually a weakness of mine. Mm. And if that's your strength, there are certain property types where the transactions are much more relational than others, mm -hmm. okay? Single tenant net lease, that stuff is pretty simple to underwrite. Maybe maybe something like that fits your skill set better. Me, I'm better at the financial analysis, the underwriting, the, the numbers behind all that stuff. And so the more complex the property, the more suited I am to maybe have an advantage with that property. So I like uh, multi-tenant buildings where there's a bunch of leases, uh, apartments, self-storage. There's just a lot more numbers involved. Um, so we're looking for overlap here. If you love industrial and your skill set starts to fit with industrial, then that's a clue. The third question is, where's the transactional velocity? If you love office and you're great at office and no office properties are moving, well, congratulations. You can be great in a space where nothing's happening. So if you ask yourself those three questions and you come up with your top three in each one of the answers, I see where there's overlap. And as long as there's transactional velocity, I think you've got something that's worth specializing in. Would you say that Todd, top producer Todd Humphreys, first of all, he's only been with you like... Four years. Four years, yeah. Would you say that his strengths complement yours 
we do not have the same strengths. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's a nice compliment. Yeah. Yeah. This would be a great segue for this next question. All right. Well, okay. let's hear it. This is from Yonner812. Starts off with some very nice compliments. You all can read it because uh, here it is right here. The question, I had a question for Bo. How can I create a team like the one you have? Referring to the video where you presented an investment opportunity to Timmy. You, you can watch that there. It's a good one, y'all. Is a team like that necessary for someone looking to do their first deal? Great question. You know, if you don't have a CPA, go get one. You don't want to do that one on your own. And let's be real clear. The second you can delegate or bring on a team member and start delegating a lot of these tasks so that you're freed up to do the things that only you can do, then you start all of a sudden providing much, much more value. And I can tell you from everybody I know that's hired the, uh, an executive assistant, including me, I wish I would have done it before. They give you time back so that you can do the things that only you can do. And if you're real clear on what those things are that bring the most value, that next team member being an executive assistant is huge. And I've got one. She's in the Philippines, and she's fantastic. I she's mean, she right is, here with us. You all can't see her here yeah, right now, but she's so. right here with Producer us. Alice. Yeah, we've got top producer Tom Humphreys, but we've got, like, producer, producer Alice. That's right. Yeah. And so not only is she my executive assistant, but she's our producer here on the podcast. Woo, shout out to Alice. Yeah, we love you, Alice. <laughs> if you are doing your first deal, you don't have a team put together at all. What I'm hearing you say is definitely get a CPA and an attorney. Yeah, and if it's a deal of any size, like, and you didn't have a, you don't have a property management function in your business, like find you a good third-party property manager, mm. property management company that can take that off your plate and yeah. handle the tenants well and really serve them and mm. uh, would would be good. Yeah, because we're yeah. assuming here that, you know, you're not just doing your first deal and that's it. Oh, good, my goals are hit. Right, right, right. It'd be the first of many. Yep. Mm -hmm. Next question. All right. Yeah, let's see it. This is from Proactive SF. San Francisco, maybe? Commented, Ooh, I maybe. agree. I'm flummoxed by that concept. Please explain. I have to get my bets in. So this is in reference to this clip here. You can bet on horse races that have already happened, which I don't understand the appeal of that, but evidently it's a thing. You can't just throw that out and be like, I don't know exactly how that works without me. Uh, how? was My brain was broken because Bo explained to me just the very, at a very, very high level, this <laughs> this betting system. I ended up looking historical, it up. Historical off-track betting. What is so, it, Timmy? My understanding was, or in the way you explained it, or maybe this was your understanding of it too, was you sit there and you're watching... You're just straight up watching the race from the past and you're betting on it like it was happening then and there's no way to know before. But that is not what it is. It's essentially like a slot machine, but it uses historical racetrack betting in its system and it's incognito or whatever. But it's essentially, and I might still be wrong here, but my understanding now is it's essentially a loophole to allow gambling and slot machines where you couldn't necessarily do that before. I think that's correct. Like that is a loophole. I think the biggest thing for me was it. it's not linear like I was thinking initially. Like you see the beginning of the race to the end of the race 
and then you've got the winner. It's not that linear. No, oh, okay. Yeah, it, right. it takes well, like, yeah. several from. Anyway, next question comes from Kelly Burke. Kelly Burke asks, thank you. How do I find those classes? You know what she's referring to? Yeah, she was asking about how does a residential agent transition to the commercial side? And we answered that question on a previous episode. Essentially, connect with a team who's doing commercial deals and get experience on as many transactions as possible as quickly as possible. And the other thing was to educate yourself. And I would recommend the CCIM education. That's what I did. It was huge for me. My confidence level, fantastic. Best in the industry education. And to find out about those classes, you simply go to ccim.com and click on the education tab. And you can search, you know, it'll take you through. Like if you want to earn the designation, you take these classes. But more than that, they also have word center courses, which are online bite-sized courses. So they might be four hours long. And you take them over the course of two days, two hours each kind of class. And it might be on a very specific topic that you're interested in. Mm. There's dozens and dozens of courses like that, that you can take a couple hundred dollars each, do it online. Uh, it's a great resource for the industry, especially people from the residential side that are interested in learning more about how to do commercial deals and maybe transition over to commercial. That's that's what I re would recommend. Yeah. You can go all uh, out and get the designation. I teach one of those courses. I love it. I recommend it to anybody. But if you just want some bite-sized stuff, that that's available there as well. And you know, you know, you can do all that online. Yeah. And another thing that you mentioned before when we answered her initial question was that you have seen a a huge growth in the number of residential agents that are uh taking these classes. Is that right? Yep. I would agree yeah. with yep. Yeah. I would agree with what I said before. Yes. We have right. we are yeah. <laughs> We're seeing a lot more residential agents take those courses. That that uh, CCIM education link is in the description as well. Here's another one. This is from TikTok, I believe. Layback Air commented, commercial real estate is cratering. And, uh, you know, if you're, you've been reading the headlines about commercial real estate in the past several months, or even at the beginning of the year, you, that's, that is what it looks like per the headlines. That's what you hear. On the news. And that's what's happening to a degree. All those headlines are in some ways true. We have had bank failures. We have had the steepest interest rate increase in the history of our country mm. over the last year. All these macroeconomic macro pressures that are negative, San Francisco specifically, all those big tech companies, Facebook, all those other ones, they've laid, out, laid off a tremendous amount of people, thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people have lost their jobs. Yeah. Right? Those are basic jobs. So not only are you losing those basic jobs, but you're losing those non-basic jobs. Mm. And it has a tremendous negative impact on your local economy. So San Francisco is getting crushed. It is. Yeah. But Nashville's not. You know, right. Because they still have job growth. Mm. Owensboro, Kentucky is somewhat insulated here, right in the middle of, of the country. And we're as stable as it gets. So while investors here are having to pay a higher interest rate. Deals are still getting done. Owensboro's not losing a bunch of jobs, right? So everything's hyper-local when it comes to commercial real estate. So you can read those headlines and think, man, commercial real estate's cratering. It is in some markets, mm -hmm. but in most markets, it's not, especially if you have job growth. So Elizabethtown, Kentucky, they're still getting those 5,000 Ford jobs or not, not specifically Ford. It's the Blue Oval 
plant where they're going to be building those um, batteries, batteries, those batteries mm-hmm. for electronic vehicles. They're still going to have tremendous economic growth there because of those jobs, mm-hmm. and and that's going to translate to a ton of demand for more commercial real estate. So you really got to look at the market you're talking about. Dallas, mm-hmm. eh, they're doing just fine. You know, it really just depends on what you're talking about and. The negative stuff is what leads in the news. So there are markets that are really, really struggling. Yeah. San Francisco being the prime right. prime example of that. But, man, I'm not losing sleep in Owensboro. Yeah. And if I were in Nashville, I'd be feeling just fine. Texas, I'm feeling just fine. There's plenty of, you know, where there's job growth, you're generally okay. This information really sunk in for me is when we were talking to Lonnie Hendry of TREPWIRE, T-R-E-P-P. It gives you up-to-date information of what's happening in the commercial real estate from three different angles, I believe is correct, from three different hosts who specialize in, mm-hmm. in certain things. And we had Lonnie on, and his specialty is CMBS loans. So these are the loans that when you want to get a loan for a big amount of money for a big deal, you're, you're for the most part, getting a CMBS loan. Is that correct? Close enough. Close enough. Okay. Bo listens to Trepwire. Uh, nearly every week. We're we're both a huge fan of Lonnie, you know, not just because he offered me a job. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, what was my point? Oh yeah, what sunk in with me was how local commercial real estate is. Commercial real estate, you really have to look locally. And Casey uh, Casey Conway rein- reinforced. Yeah, reinforced that. You've got these big, big companies, these big, big banks that do these big, big loans. But then you have your local community, your credit unions, the bankers that you know that you've worked with, that you're not just another person coming in. They know you in the the relationship of commercial real estate with those local people and the people that you know. It really has nothing to do with a lot of those headlines or it doesn't, you know, it just is not an effect. So I think that's very important for anybody who's interested in getting into commercial real estate, whether investing, becoming a broker, or or just going into it at all. It, it'd be really easy to see those headlines and be like, I'm going to choose something else. I've heard uh, my buddy Mark Seipert, who's a 102 instructor as well out, out of Dallas, I've heard him say this, and I completely agree. And he says there's opportunities in any market during any market cycle. Mm. And what's happening right now is even in the places that aren't just getting cratered like San Francisco, to use the guy who asked the question, to use his word cratering, sure. there's plenty of places that are getting reset. Mm. Properties are being repositioned. Uh, mm. There's a price correction. We've had like 12 years of a just unbelievable market where every rents were increasing, values were increasing mm. all over the place. And it's time to correct that. Yeah. make things more affordable right and, uh, and that's that's not a bad thing it's yeah. gonna be a bad thing for some people for some markets but overall and there's real opportunities there okay cool yeah right. love you bro love you brother love you love you so much brother jinx you owe me ice cream <laughs> okay bye Alice see you bye bye, bye.